Welcome to the Book of Mormon podcast, where it's all about uncovering questions, thoughts, and discoveries in your own personal Book of Mormon study. I know it seems crazy, but for over four years, I've been writing out the Book of Mormon, word for word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph. It's amazing what we can learn when we slow down and give space for personal revelation and insights beyond our normal reading pace. I'm Susan Gardner, a convert, a cyclist, and a Zuma to eight amazing grandkids. Come with me as we unveil new perspectives and understanding as I continue to write out the Book of Mormon. Hello, everybody. I'm your host, Susan Gardner, and you're listening to Writing the Book of Mormon podcast, Season 2, Episode 6. What does it mean to be saved? I live in a place where the beach is easily accessible. In fact, one of my favorite rides is pedaling along the coast. In fact, I just did that recently. It was a beautiful day, but you know what? No matter what the weather, it's beautiful. It's breathtaking, actually. Surfers bobbing up and down in the ocean, grown-ups and children digging in the sand. There are frisbees and palm trees, boogie boards, and friends enjoying a game of volleyball. No matter what the season, fun is in full swing. On occasion, I'll notice lifeguard jeeps and stations scattered along the shore. When I see the jeeps and stations, I think about all the people whose job it is to save. For instance, whenever I find myself in a doctor's or dentist or any other medical situation, I think of this phrase, their job, my life. This simple phrase puts places like these in perspective for me. I'm not sure why this helps me feel less intimidated by the white coat, medical instruments, and that crinkly paper stretched across the exam table. With this in mind, this week I thought of some of the different characters we've talked about during these podcasts, as well as other characters we know through reading the Book of Mormon. Now we've got Nephi, Gideon, Abinadi, Corianton, Samuel the Lamanite, Anti-Nephi-Lehi's, Zeezrom, and those that stone the prophets, the 2,000 stripping warriors, Alma and Amulek, and those that were burned for their beliefs, Lehi and Nephi and Aminadab. I also thought of Sherem and Nehor, Korhor, and all the Nephite dissenters that left the church and stirred up the Lamanites, Alma and his son Alma the Younger and his friends, Ammon and Aaron, Omnar, and Himni, more commonly known as the sons of Mosiah. All these people have lived different lives with diverse life experiences and outlooks. Now, when I read the accounts of their lives, sometimes I'm tempted to compare and ask, why did some of these people have to die? And why was some of the people protected and allowed to live? Especially if the person that died was young or good or innocent. Why didn't God save them, I think? Or I'll admit, if the person was destructive, evil or bad, and they died, I'd think, good, they got what they deserved. But what about those that were good in the beginning and then changed to bad? Or those that were bad at the start and then changed to good? I remember as a young mom being careful to cut the cookie exactly in half so that both pieces look like the same. Otherwise, any discrepancies would immediately be detected. I'd soon hear, hey, that one's bigger. Or why do they get the bigger piece? That's not fair. Now, when my kids grew up, they soon learned the difference between the same and what is fair. I began to think about similarities in the Book of Mormon. I thought about Abinadi and Samuel the Lamanite, for example. 
Now, both these righteous prophets were commanded by God to stand and give their witness of the need for repentance and prophesy to future events. Both did all they could to be sure to deliver those messages, and both were successful. However, one was protected from arrows, rocks, and was allowed to escape, and the other was burned to death. That's not fair! The converted Lamanites, who changed their names to anti-Nephi-Lehi's, buried their weapons and laid prostrate on the ground as their enemies rapidly approached to slay them. Now, compare this group to Amma the Younger and his friends, the sons of Mosiah, who were described as about going about the church and were the very vilest of sinners. Although opposite in their devotion to God, both found themselves lying prostrate on the ground. The converted group was slaughtered, the other saved. That's not fair! How about the awful irony between the account of Amma and Amulek having to witness the burning of innocent women and children and being told by the Spirit to hold back the power to save them. Then, being told by the same Spirit to go help and heal a sick lawyer that played a part in the deaths of those same women and children. What's fair about that? Well, to us mortals, it's not fair at all. Events like these and those similar in our life don't make sense. I've often asked questions like, why do little children get cancer? Why do missionaries die while serving? Why did the early saints suffer so much persecution and death? How senseless is deaths caused by drunk drivers and those that are murdered? When I find myself looking for answers to questions like these, I think back to my rides along the coast seeing the lifeguard stations. I also remind myself to think of the phrase I repeat in the doctor's offices, their job, my life. I don't want you to think that I believe I'm in no way responsible for the well-being of other people, but what I'm trying to say is doing this, repeating this phrase, and thinking of my rides along the coast, they help me remember it's not up to me to decide who lives or dies. That responsibility ultimately lies in the hands whose job it is to save. I got a clear understanding of this when I compared my experience flying in an airplane. When I fly, I love to get the window seat. One of my favorite things to do is to look out the window when we are on descent into the airport. I look out and I see cars on the freeways and roads. The closer I get, the more I see. There are so many of them. I start to think about how all those cars are being driven by people, individual people. All of them are driving to important paces, I think. They all have names and history and checklists to complete. Everyone in each car have personal concerns, worries, and hopes for their lives. Then I think God knows them all. Now, at this point, the thought is overwhelming and my mind is a little blown. I gotta admit. So I just shake my head and chalk it up to having a pea brain perspective that I can't comprehend this right now. I didn't doubt the truth of it, just put it on the back burner and file it under the category of things I'll understand better someday. This concept of knowing billions of people continued to puzzle me and struck me for a long while. Years later, I remember hearing something Elder Bednar taught that has helped me see this in a new way. He said, quote, I have learned there are no such things as large congregations. There are only large gatherings of ones. Ones. 
After hearing that, immediately in my mind, I saw the Savior meeting, talking, healing, and helping individuals. Yes, I know, he spoke to, to large groups at times, but mostly he dealt with one person at a time. Think about it. Raising Jairus' daughter from the dead, the woman at the well, the blind man, the leper, teaching Mary and Martha, the woman that touched the hem of Jesus' garment. All were met in an individual way. My pea brain was being expanded. Suddenly, I could relate. Bringing that new understanding on a smaller level in my mind, I thought of my friends. Like you, I have many friends. For example, I have cycling friends and church friends, Facebook friends, book club friends, and childhood friends, just to name a, a few. But here's the part that made the difference for me. When I thought of walking up to one person in any of those groups and focusing on just them, I instantly valued them. I was so thankful for them and I loved them. Why? Because I knew them as an individual. The closer I got, the more I saw. Today, when I look out the airplane window and see all those cars below me, driven by all those people, I try to remember to focus only on one car at a time. Doing this helps me to understand God's love for his children better. To give one last example of this idea, I'll tell you, when I drive down the freeway, I often pass a billboard. Now on the billboard, it says this, quote, we only treat one type of cancer, yours. Like this billboard advertises, I believe our Father in Heaven see us as individuals. He sees each one. He knows each one and he loves each one. He doesn't lump us all into categories as good people or bad people. He takes into account our personal experiences, what we know, unique family situations, different cultures and backgrounds, and desires of our hearts. He is the perfect judge. When I consider some of the accounts in the Book of Mormon from this perspective, I see how he did save Samuel the Lamanite and Abinadi, Emma and Amulek, and the burning innocent women and children. He saved the anti-Nehi-Lehi's, Zeazram, missionaries, and all that succumb to disease, and all those that lose their lives prematurely by accidents or not by an accident. He sees the big picture. He understands all the lives and deaths of all the people in a perfect way. The Lord has the best plan for His children in mortality and after. It's fair because it is His job to save. I'm thankful I've been taught a little more about how God saves people. It's not important to discover it first. It's more important to discover it for yourself. Slow pace, give space. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who also loves the Book of Mormon. And if you're on Facebook, be sure to like our page and join our community. You type in writing the Book of Mormon dash discussion group. This will keep you up to date and current with new topics and conversations surrounding our study. I do appreciate you and I hope you have an amazing day.